Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. This is What Do You Know About That? A radio show about anything and everything happening in our community, our city, and our world. Here are your hosts, Eric Gershnow and Mary Angela Saavedra. Well, hey there, Mary Angela. Hey, Eric. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. How about yourself? I can't complain. This is pretty exciting. This is our first episode. It is. It is our first episode. Very exciting. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Yeah. Welcome, everyone, to What Do You Know About That? What do you know about that? What do you know about that? Can you tell us a little bit about what is the show about, Mary Angela? It's about all kinds of things that maybe you do or don't know stuff about. Right. And we're Philly-centric. That's the idea. We reside actually right between, it's actually not Mount Airy and it's not Germantown. It's actually called Morton. Morton. When you look on the Google Maps, it says this part of the neighborhood is Morton officially, which nobody from around here recognizes. Like when I mention it, people are like, I've never heard that before. I tell people we live in Germantown, right on the edge of Mount Airy. We're within walking distance to most things, certainly driving distance. We're quite in a strategic location because we can hit West Mount Airy. We can hit East Mount Airy. We can hit Germantown. Uh, pretty much a straight shot in any direction. We can be there in like five minutes. It's it's amazing. It's pretty great. I love this neighborhood. Yeah, I love it. It's great. So, yeah, I think the idea is to talk a little bit about what's going on in the community something relevant to our listeners within Philadelphia. And hopefully as the, the show goes on, we pull in some feedback from our listeners. Yeah. Right? We want to talk about topics that you want to know something about. So I think with that, one of the things we want to talk about is what is the community talking about? Absolutely. So yeah, each week I want to focus on what's going on in the neighborhoods and what people are, are talking about and interested in. And I belong to several neighborhood groups on Facebook, of course. Um, there's a couple that I really like. Uh, Living in Germantown altogether is one of them. Uh, another one is Changing Germantown, I think is the name of the other one. And then I'm also part of the Next Door group for Germantown as well, uh, which is nice because these are all community groups where people post like things that they're talking about or things they're interested. Sometimes they're posting things to sell. Uh, right now I'm on the next door and um, someone's getting rid of some lamps. <laughs> so if you need some lamps, actually, I think they might be gone now, according to this post. But, uh, you know, it's, it's that kind of stuff. But one of the really interesting things I love about these groups is almost always a post comes up about dogs in the neighborhood. Right. There's a lot of dogs. We all see people walking dogs. Right. And the posts are always twofold. There's always the ones where people are just like, oh, my gosh, love all the dogs in our neighborhood. It's great. Thank you so much for cleaning up after your dog, all that good stuff. But some other times people are like really angry because people clean up after their dog, but then put the trash in other people's trash cans. But it's wrapped up in a bag. So I don't know. I wouldn't be offended if somebody cleaned up after their dog while walking them on my street and happened to put it in my trash can. Would you? I mean, that would be my preference. Rather than going to the side of the road. Right. Which... Or, or leaving it and not picking it up. Right. Yep. It's funny because, you know, some people get really upset about that where they're just like, don't clean up after your dog and then put the baggie in my trash can that's sitting right there on the curb. And I'm like, but but why? Because, I mean, that's it's in a bag and it's in a trash can where it's going to get thrown away. And what is the alternative? I guess people carry it home, which, you know, they could do, but maybe they're not going straight home. Maybe they're going to the grocery store or <laughs> something. You know what I mean? I mean, am I wrong? Am I, am I, should I be one of the people who are upset about this? I'm not upset about this. Dog poop. <laughs> it's a deep discussion. It is. There's a lot of posts on here about it. I'm not kidding. Oh my. Well, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people get upset about what the neighbors are doing more often than not. I guess, aside from the dogs, we're talking about animals. Uh, another big wave of posts are always about um, cats. You've seen there's a lot of, I don't know, are they called feral cats? They're just kind of rogue neighborhood cats. They don't, is that is that the right term, feral? Is that right? Yeah, I couldn't give you the textbook definition, but basically, yeah, they're they're not domesticated, right? 
Right. They're just kind of out and around. They're they're wild creatures living in the city. <laughs> and there's a lot of them. I mean, we've seen the the black cat on our street that oh, just yeah. hangs there's, out there's on a couple neighborhood kitties hanging out. Yeah. Um, and so people post about that because people are like, is this your cat? And I'm just like, well, cats breed. <laughs> like, it's OK, but, you know, that, that happens. But there, there apparently are a lot, a lot of feral cats in our neighborhood. So if you're looking for a pet, Maybe. just open your front door. Um, it's very nice to see how many people do find pets, cats and dogs who clearly are tagged or have collars. Yeah. Um, and they'll post on here, you know, being like, I found this really sweet dog. Is it yours? Here are pictures. Um, so that's really a nice feature of these neighborhood groups where people are trying to reunite pets with their owners, which I think is really great. Another animal topic that is pretty big has been the spotted lanternfly. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, this year's posts were different than last year. So last year it was a lot of, we're not doing enough to combat the spotted lanternflies. It was a lot of people passing judgment on on people who like weren't doing their part to help control the population. Stomp out the invaders. Right. This year was a lot more helpful posts involving how to help do your part without harming birds and things. Because I think people were putting like very sticky tape around the base of the trees and then birds and other animals, small animals would get like stuck in it. And that was not good. So it was nice to see posts like that where the community was kind of like, hey, maybe don't do that. Come on, Philly, what are you doing? Right, right, right. Um, there were also some fun posts about people's perception of how many they saw this year. So there was a whole feed um, that went on for a couple of days where people were like, I haven't stomped a single one this year because I haven't seen them. Whereas last year they were all over the place. Oh, they were like ubiquitous compared to this year. I can only say I've seen maybe a handful of lanternflies yeah. where last year, especially like on the pavement, they would just, they'd be spotted all over. Oh, yeah. But. So what do you think the reasoning is? Some people had some theories on this group, but, um, but I don't know that, that they were, anything's been definitively proven, but I'm wondering what your theories are. Oh, you want me to speculate? You want I me do. To, uh, what, what is my hypothesis? Um, Gosh, I really couldn't tell. Uh, I don't know what native climate is like for spotted lanternflies, but uh, I know this year we had the cicadas come out. Mm -hmm. Although from what I've read, cicadas aren't like preying on lanternflies or anything. They do tend to feed on similar things. But beyond that, no, yeah. they're... I, I don't think there's any issues with say their population being impacted by the presence of the cicadas. Yeah, I wondered about that. I wondered if cicadas had something to do with it. I also um, read on here somebody thought maybe birds have figured out that they uh, can. Yes, 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 you know, indeed. That the lanternflies aren't aren't particularly fast. I mean, they do jump, but they're not. They're more hoppy. Yeah. They, they don't tend to fly very quickly. Right. You you can squash a lanternfly. Like, it's it's not hard. It's not like trying to catch a regular fly in your house. Like, it's you, you can get a lanternfly. So uh, one person thinks, you know, the birds might have figured out that, like, okay, I'm not going to die if I eat one of these. Mm -hmm. And they're actually they're like, kind oh, of... like, hey, look. And they're slow and kind of tasty. This buffet. Right. So that might have helped. Um, another theory is that people really did start taking the the tips and protecting... The trees and doing what they needed to do. I had somebody drop off at my center. I work at the center on the hill on Chestnut Hill and they dropped off these things. They looked like little credit cards. They were mm -hmm. little plastic cards and they had directions on them for how to use the card to scrape off. If you saw lanternfly eggs on a tree, how to scrape them off and then like what to do with them after that. Uh, and so then someone said they had seen those same cards and they were like, oh yeah, they were around and like different in the supermarket and whatever. And so maybe people started doing that and that helped. I mean, it's great. They're invasive and we want to try and minimize the PR population. campaign against the lantern flies. <laughs> yeah, like just, we don't, they're not. Come on, Philly, do your part. Right. Save the trees. <laughs> no, not. it's certainly very present, you know, in, in the neighborhood here. I've seen plenty of trees that have had the sticky tape. And then, yeah, like what you're saying, a lot of public awareness about how to prevent the eggs from, you know, propagating. So, yeah, yeah. And then I guess the last topic that I'll talk about this week that has really been flooding the neighborhood groups right now is the mail. Yeah. We're, oh, man. We're back to some crazy mail delays, which, you know, everybody always asks, like, what's up with the mail? And I'm like, I don't know how you're going to get an answer to this. The mail is it's a lot of mail. 
There's staff shortages, of course. I mean, it goes through peaks and valleys, I understand, but it, it always cracks me up when people post about it. So this person right here just posted recently and what's happened to the mail. She says the last time they had mail was eight days ago. And then her response is, does anyone know who might care? <laughs> Question mark. That's what it says. Right. Does anyone know <laughs> anyone, who might, anyone, anyone care about the mail? Right. Uh, might care that I haven't had mail in eight days. I will say this. I was sent a birthday card from Maryland on August 9th. My birthday is August 16th. Uh, 17th. Oh my God. Don't even know my own birthday. Um, August 17th. And I got that card last week. I got that card almost a month after it was sent. Which, what, what, when was that? That's like early September. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely something up with the mail. <laughs> um, but Philadelphia is a big city and we're doing a lot of shopping online now, right? Like, you know, everybody. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure everyone is very familiar with all the Amazon trucks driving around the neighborhood, right? There's probably more Amazon trucks that drive down our street than anything. Sure. And Amazon, that's nice that it's separate. So that doesn't use the mail. Often, sometimes Amazon does. But for the most part, as you mentioned, it's the Amazon trucks. Mm -hmm. But they're we're not just ordering from Amazon. People are mail ordering food kits and mail ordering boxes of you know, cleaning supplies and stuff like we're, we're just doing a lot of shopping online in general. And that definitely floods oh, yeah. no the doubt. mail system for sure. And a mail carrier, I just realized that the mail carriers are split in two. There is a truck that does packages, right? Like, so the mail truck, and then there's the person who drives the truck who actually carries the letters, the paper mail. And then that person, that carrier walks the streets and right. puts them in the mailboxes. And if you're short staffed or if you have just a lot of mail, to sort and get through, like, yeah, that can, it can take time. So I don't know if anyone, there was one response to this. Does anyone know who might care? And let's see. Nope. That person just responded that they are also on Johnson street and haven't had mail in over a week. It's getting very strange. Mm. So it says, so hopefully that will remedy itself soon enough. But, um, those are those are the things being talked about on the neighborhood groups right now. Well, it's funny you mentioned the mail only because we have a very unique situation based on our address. Uh, we have it tends to have a lot of mail shipped to our the opposing address <laughs> on the other side of our street on the east side. Yes. So because Philadelphia is unique, well, not really unique. There are other cities that do this, but we have you know streets where there's east side of the street and the west side of the street with the same housing numbers. So if you're not looking close enough or if you mail sorters in a hurry, um, yes, a lot of our mail ends up at East, the East side, but um, vice yeah. versa. Sometimes we get, we get some of their mail too. Uh, yeah. Well, and sometimes we, we, we made get friends all with kinds them. of people's mail. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Sometimes we get mail that's nowhere near us. You're like, Hey, like, look, what? I don't know this person. Oh, look, their address is a few blocks over. Let me just walk it over and, and drop, drop it, it in their mailbox. Right. So that's what you do. <laughs> so maybe we take a moment and really talk about the theme of the show. We're talking about things that are relevant to the community, that are relevant to the city, that are being discussed even in a global context, but everyone in our neighborhood can relate to. So there is something specific that we wanted to talk about for our first episode and Perhaps maybe you can introduce that a little bit, Mary Angela. Okay. Yeah. So each week we're going to have like a, a theme, a topic that'll be kind of the main topic of the show. Uh, and this week I thought would be good since it's our first, our first time out to talk about the return of the arts. Uh, because, you know, we spent a year and a half, basically a bit of an arts void or in a real weird, weird sort of artistic place um, due to the pandemic. And this fall, um, this month, Theaters are reopening and music venues are reopening and things are happening with precautions and guidelines in place. And it's because we can't wait anymore. The arts need to return. So that's what I wanted to talk about this week, sort of what that looks like and how that affects us and, and what our thoughts are about that. Well, I'll ask you the question, what do you know about that? <laughs> Well, uh, I know a lot about the theater side of things, and I'm hoping you know a lot of things about the music side of things. So uh, let's talk about theater. So performing arts, um, obviously, you have to do them 
in front of a live audience. That's, you know, preferable. And during the pandemic, uh, we pivoted pretty hard and figured out ways to stream them, figured out ways to do them through Zoom, virtual um, presentations. It's it's not the same. Uh, did you watch any virtual productions during the pandemic? Did you uh, Some, but t- t- can you speak a little bit perhaps from your own experience? So what kind of things have you done in the theater world and how has that been received by audiences and what are some things that you think could be implemented considering that we're still kind of like in between now and, and now that we're moving out of the summertime into the winter, I know it's certainly in a lot of people's minds, how are businesses going to manage and adapt? I mean, certainly there's going to be, uh, I'm sure, uh, an approach coming from the federal government side, but then, you know, as a community, what are some things that people are going to do to create accessibility to the arts and still make people feel safe, those who are concerned about getting sick? Yes, absolutely. So my experience during the pandemic with virtual theater was we, we did a couple things. There was a production where everybody was tested several times before performing together on stage, unmasked, and we filmed it. There was no audience. It was just filmed, and then it was edited together and it was basically a recorded staged version of something got a lot of positive feedback about that people really enjoyed that it was like being in a theater I means seeing it as close as possible another production that we did was done strictly on zoom all the actors were never together in the same room and it was recorded you know through zoom and, and edited a, a bit you know to help with some sound effects and some things to help make it interesting but the actors were never together and that had had some positive response. I think the biggest, you know, sort of feedback that we got was that when you do it that way, right, everyone's in a different place. So the cameras, it looks like a person's in a different room, right? It's evident that they're not all together. And in theater, especially when you're doing something, you, you want to be together. You want to be of the same world in the same place. And that yeah. was that was really hard to do that virtually. There was a second production that I worked on that, they use all the same background. So then it did look like everyone was of the same world. And that helped for sure. It still was obvious they weren't all together in the same place. And so that chemistry sometimes is a little bit less. But um, but people really did respond because that was that was how we're, we were doing theater at that time. That was how we were telling these stories and these tales. And that was nice to see people really get behind that. And then it got to a point as this went on where people were like, I'm just not here to sit and watch this this way anymore. People were like, I just don't want to do that. And then it got warm and people got vaccinated and people were like, oh, we can go outside. We can do theater outside. And people flocked to that. Everybody I know that did a, an outdoor show, I did one at Laurel Hill Cemetery. Everybody I know that participated that way saw great groups of people come out for it. Lots of support. The actors loved it. The audiences loved it. It was wonderful. But now we're coming back to the fall. And, you know, the way trends were looking in the spring and through the early summer before the Delta variant became a thing, you know, everyone was like, well, this is going to be no problem. Everyone's going to be vaccinated. The numbers are going to go down. We're all going to feel very comfortable coming back into a theater. Then things started to change and it became, oh, like you said, what, what do we need to do to be comfortable? What do we need to do to make sure we feel safe? And so the city stepped in and said, we're going to let theaters reopen, but here's the deal. If you want to perform unmasked on stage in front of an audience, then your actors have to all be vaccinated and tested before they perform together. Mm -hmm. And then your audience has to be vaccinated and masked and appropriately seated in your audience. And I definitely agree with that. I feel like that would make me feel very safe coming into a theater that way. I think there are some people who are like, yeah, I'm not going to go to the theater if I have to put a mask on and sit in the theater. And I think that's okay. You know, I think the people who want to enjoy the theater now will enjoy it the best way they can and others will wait till they feel comfortable coming back. And I think that's okay too. I think it's the best we can do right now. I don't know what else. What do you, what do you think? What, what, what else do you think? Could well, be? I think certainly within the neighborhood, I think most people are on board. I definitely understand and appreciate that there are communities that are hesitant of the science just based on history. And that is an unfortunate reality. One of the things I think that's come out of 
this whole pandemic is it's a forced cultural shift. There are people now whose perceptions have been augmented dramatically going through this in one direction or another. And certainly from the music community, though I don't feel like as active as I used to be and want to be, some people have had the opportunity to do some introspective work and get themselves into a place where they're perhaps making music better. There's more opportunities to just hone their craft and spend more time doing that. I myself, it's been a bit of a different shift where I I haven't had the opportunity to spend as much time because a lot of the activity was based just on just socializing, right? You know, you you go out to the, the clubs where the music's at, where people are playing and you know, the music is what everyone evolves around and then places closed up. Granted now, like to your point about summertime, things opening up, people getting vaccinated, you definitely feel there's this tension in the air. People want to get back out. People want to go and they want to make music. They want to make music with other people. And eventually something's going to give. People are going to find a way to get together make music, whether it's going to be backyard fests, which I've attended a few this summer. There's a few folks, musicians, artists who were basically hosting under a tent in their backyard and opened up their yard to friends to come over and hang out and support live music. Uh, And then you have places like Milo's that have weathered and are opening back up and hosting live music. But then some of these other venues haven't bounced back yet. Some folks are personally hesitant to, and considering how they manage people coming and going. I recently saw a concert, actually two, at the Mann Center. One evening, I didn't get checked for whether or not I was vaccinated, but uh, the second evening I came back, which was a much bigger show, way more people showing up. You had a whole line where you had to cross through where they had people checking your vaccination card. Yeah. Why do you think, do you think it was about size? Do you think it was the size of the crowd that made the difference or? Yeah, I, that's, that's my guess. I honestly couldn't tell you. And I think that's probably going to be the the way we deal with it. But I, I think there's varying opinions as to how effective that really is. Yeah. Just because I think some of these guys who were checking vaccine cards probably aren't really going like into the level of scrutiny that say one would when you're going through the airport right? To get onto a plane because there's so many people, especially for a larger venue, so many people who are coming through that they're probably not looking to make sure that that person's ID matches with their vaccination card. And in the end, does it make a difference? I don't know. And it's an open air. Is it more about making people feel comfortable versus... Yeah. Because the man center is open air. You know, even even inside the amphitheater, it's it's open air inside. I mean, you probably get less air circulation in the pavilion for sure. sure yeah. But still, to your point, once we start moving into the wintertime, things are going to be moving indoors. And I think people are going to have a hard time coping with businesses saying, OK, well, now it's getting cold. We're going to shut the doors. And why would businesses do that? Because they need to make money. So yeah. they're going to figure out some way of getting people in the door. Places like Milo's, which have exploded just in the past nine months in terms of live music because a lot of musicians, they're looking for that outlet. Mm -hmm. And the places that were the go-to are still closed. They're not hosting live music. So it's an opportunity now for Milo's to open their doors. I'll be very interested to see how the Kimmel Cultural Campus handles things sort of on that level. The Kimmel Center is now rebranded as the Kimmel Cultural Campus uh, because it's the Kimmel Center, the Academy of Music, and the Miriam Theater. Uh, But they're returning with a full Broadway series. So touring shows will be coming through. Hamilton is one of them that's coming back. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, they're the Philadelphia Ballet now. They used to be the Pennsylvania Ballet. Now they're the Philadelphia Ballet is returning and um, Opera Philadelphia and the Philadelphia Orchestra. And those are big organizations that have classically drawn huge crowds and I'll be very interested to see how that plays out and what that looks like and you know are they going to be operating at limited capacity are they going to do the vaccination card situation but the the one through line the one thing that seems to be consistent is that the arts have to come back we we people need, we need want them. the arts yes. people need we, the we arts need it'll be an exciting time to to see what happens and, and yeah, and how, how the arts find a way. It'll all come out in the wash. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. But 
that was our topic this week. If you have some thoughts about it, tell us what you think. You can message us on Facebook or Instagram at what do you know about that? All one word. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You're listening to 92.9 FM G-Town Radio. Hello and welcome back for folks who are just tuning in. This is What Do You Know About That? We'd like to switch gears now for a segment we call Who Are the Musicians in Your Neighborhood? Today we're joined by local artists Deb Callahan and Alan James. Thanks so much for joining us. This is my first time meeting you, actually, Deb. I've known Alan for years. Like, you guys live literally right down the street from us. Right. And did you guys, you met, though, before living down the street, right? Did you know each other? No. Oh, you met met from, like, on the block, kind of. Yeah. I don't know how we started talking music, but it just kind of evolved into, hey, you're walking back. Hey, let's talk gear. Yeah. I was at his house in the basement two or three times. Which yeah. was the studio at the time right. was downstairs. Now we're on the third floor. We've we've moved on up. I, I pulled him out of the basement. I said, you don't have to have a studio in the basement anymore. <laughs> That's great. Yep. Well, thank you all so much for being with us. Um, you're our, our, our first featured musical Woo-hoo! guests, which <laughs> is great. This is our inaugural episode of What Do You Know About That? Where we're just kind of talking about different things in the community and we wanted to feature community musicians each week. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for agreeing to be on. We appreciate it yeah, very much. For having so tell us um, a little bit about yourselves, uh, who you are, what you do, how long you've been doing it, that kind of thing. Well, I play electric guitar. Um, What's your name? <laughs> Alan James. And uh, that's pretty much all I do is play electric guitar. And uh, how long you been playing guitar? I don't know, 40, 50 years. Wow. You know, I probably started like 12 or 13. And, you know, it was because of like a lot of other people in my same age rack. It was because of the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Mm-hmm. That, that's like a universal thing with a lot of people that, I, you know, that I, you know, that it was a certain age that, you know, how'd you start playing? Well, you know, I saw the, I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan and then, you know, that was it. Right. And and did you grow up in the Philly area or, or uh, Terrytown, Terrytown, New York? Okay, okay. So so, what brought you to Philly? Well, nothing was, you know, you know. Once I was playing for a little bit, nothing was really gone. You know, I didn't think anything was going to happen for me there. It was a small town, and you know what I mean. I didn't really want to go to New York City. So back then, you could put a free ad in the Rolling Stone magazine. So I put an ad in saying that I was willing to leave home. And then I get a call one day, oh, there's somebody on the phone for you. And so I go over and it's a guy from Collingswood, New Jersey. And uh, so I you know, packed up my stuff with uh, some friends and we drove down there and I auditioned for this guy. And uh, that was it. So Collingswood first for about three months. Little did I know this guy had a band. They were all, they were all, um, getting ready to mutiny right as I showed up. <laughs> That's so, how it goes. Yeah. That's a crazy story. So yeah, you know, they, you know, three months later, you know, these guys leave three months later, they come back and get me. And then I ended up in Germantown on schoolhouse lane. And then I, you know, nothing was happening there. Nobody had any money. Nobody had a job. So I went back to Terrytown. I think I went back a couple of times and then finally maybe 1974, it came out for good. And it was, again, it was because somebody had a band, you know, come on down and play. And I get down there and all the players are not really any good. So then you had to replace all those guys. So, but that was, you know, the beginning of, you know, and then I started getting good gigs with, you know, some well-known, some other well-known local people. And then, you know, things got better. Alan could write a book because he's, he's like had a lot of years, like, especially on, in the South street scene when South street was more of a, happening music scene and Community. it was um yeah um we can get in that out if you want yeah like, but just i'm saying like i was you know he he sometimes he had a lot of stories i mean you, you could, he could be just on here as a solo actor. That, that, <laughs> that's how i got here was the free classified in the rolling stones wow, wow. that's pretty exciting yeah that is really cool well let's switch gears here a minute so so deb can you tell us a little bit about yourself sure uh, my name is deb callahan and i am a singer and songwriter I'm also a social worker. Um, so 
I grew up in the Boston area, a little bit north of Boston, and I came to Philly actually to go to grad school. So I have my master's in social work. And um, but my whole life, I've always been involved in music and art um, in some way, like singing, performing, um, like so many different types of things, you know, choruses, choirs, plays. Um, and I also like to paint and, and draw and that kind of stuff. So it took me a while to narrow it into when I got to college. Um, I did all those things, you know, four part acapella, harmony group, um, uh, musical theater. And then I got into like a rock blues band and I was like, oh man, this, this is where I fit. This is where I belong. And that's where, how I wanted to use my voice. And so, um, yeah, that was, that I was really, you know, that I did that sort of towards the end of college and then did, got into the social work thing. And then somewhere in my mid to late twenties, I was like, wait a minute, what happened to my, my music, like, you know, passion. I wanted to get back into that. So I started, my journey was more like, and I'm, we're, we're about 10, 10 years, maybe 12 years actually apart. So like I, I, I missed a whole scene that he was a part of, you know, in Philly. Um, but I started going to warm daddies in the late nineties basically. And, um, and that was like a kind of a happening scene at the time I met some players and started a band. And, and so basically I've had a band that, that I call the Deb Callahan band, um, since the late nineties. And then I met Alan. The phone rang one day and, you know, it was her. I need a guitar player. Somebody referred me to her and, you know, 20 years later. <laughs> and a 10 year old. But I was, I was kind of like, I was kind of really not working at all. And then, you know, she called and I said, well, I can do all the gigs. Right. I won't just sub. I can. I'll but but the thing was that actually is um, I was making my first um, CD down at Indre Studios in South Philly. That's actually how we had, I had one guitar player, but someone else had recommended Alan. You know, I was like, let's get Alan on these tracks. Is that how? I don't know. But I, played, the order I played a gig with you before I recorded. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So then we got you on the tracks. But then you were so much better than my regular guitar player that I've been working with that I sort of was like, you know, if you want the gig, then. That's how it goes. It is. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I think we're coming at it from some different perspectives, but we both really like, um, you know, blues, R&B, soul, roots music. I think we have an appreciation for that. We Then we, we diverge a lot in our musical interests too, which is which is cool. We'll argue a little bit, you know. Yeah. About, I think we both like jazz too. <laughs> about what's good. About what's good well, what's I'm, I'm very open-minded about, you know, we have a 10-year-old and he listens to a lot of, you know, modern contemporary pop music and, and I'm like fine with listening to it. And I, I see like the value, I guess, in some of it. Um, even that if I'm not going to, you know, go download the songs, I, I find it, in, I think pop culture is interesting. I think you have no patience for it. You're like, that's not real music. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't like, I, yeah, I just think like, I, I like, I have a lens of just looking at like, what is this person saying? What, um, like I'm a social worker. So I think it's like a bit of an anthropological view on it too. Like what, what is this? group you know what does this person stand for what are they representing what are they saying you know you, you mentioned warm daddies which i believe it's it's no more right they they closed down warm daddies and stuff that's a really good question i was just thinking that when i was saying that it, it, it seemed it seemed to change over time you know they they moved <clears throat> to a different location like a little further from center city and i don't know that was a long time ago now but i stopped going and i don't think they have a lot of blues it's um they don't even I, I don't even know if they're open, to be honest. I haven't, I haven't. Did you no, see that I'm, I'm pretty sure they closed down. They're one of the venues that we lost during the, the pandemic. Uh, but sad. yeah, they were in South Philly, right on Columbus yeah. Boulevard. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they were still doing blues. Uh, uh, but I think expanded more to, to cater to the R&B and, and jazz communities a little bit. So uh, yeah. I think the last time I was there was 2018. Wow. Yeah. Who did you who did you go see? Uh it was KJ McNeil. Do you know KJ? He's he's he's, he's a young guy. He um he does a lot of R and B. Yeah, we, yeah, I remember you were getting a gig doing uh, last time I uh, was on your porch or something, and then you know, you had your guitar and the computer you had to learn songs or something. So I played with Doug Grigsby and Stephen Wise in a wedding band yeah. for five years. Right, right. So it's right. interesting the little pockets in Philly of of different music communities that you'll find. And it's interesting that you guys are doing blues, right? Because blues isn't particularly a, a, a very huge, say, genre in, in Philadelphia. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, not since, not since warm daddies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, there's not really, I mean, there's not really a big blues scene, but there is like this, 
resurgence, you know, there's like this Philly Blues Society that developed. They, um, it seems to be really active in the last Bucks couple County of Blues years. Society. All right. And there's been the always, yeah, how can we forget? Yeah, there's always the Bucks, the Bucks County Blues Society. I mean, Blues Societies, Blues is a niche market. And I would say Blues Societies all over the country, like have all these volunteers that love the music and kind of keep it going. And there's, you know, Blues Festivals and and like Blues right. Clubs. I mean, we, for a long time, we, we toured around the, um, up and down the East Coast into the Midwest. Um, we did one gig out in California. We played the Monterey Bay Blues Festival like years ago now. Um, but yeah, we were touring touring a lot. And there was, you know, you it's like a network of people that you kind of get to know. Um, and like I said, these festivals and, and stuff. But it's true. I mean, in Philly, we've got WXPN plays. Um, Johnny Meister has the blues show. He's always yep. been very supportive, I have to say. And, and he's a really nice guy. And he has a wealth of knowledge, really, of, of what's going on. But yeah. really, it's the summertime when these organizations can have, that's really the most times when you could bring in blues bands. They'll have their little right. mini mini festivals. But other otherwise than that, like, you know, during the winter or whatever, it's really the summertime around here that anything considered blues really gets a lot of, you know, action. You know, the Lancaster, the Media Blues Stroll. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pennsylvania Blues Festival. It's all the festivals that, you yeah. know, for if you want to hear straight blues, that's it's pretty much the summertime, you know. But the Commodore Barrett used to do shows 20 years ago, but I, you know, not anymore. So it's kind of like, you know, yeah. I always say hip hop, number one, country, number two, mm. you know, rock, maybe number three, and then. You know, you can interchange blues and jazz <laughs> right. in terms of pop and popularity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hip hop. Yeah. I mean, but blues blues permeates a lot of the culture. You know, even un- yeah. unbeknownst to to many people, like you know, there's yeah. blues root influences. Like, oh, in totally, mm-hmm. totally. Okay, so you're touring during the summertime, hitting festivals. What do you do during the fall, spring, winter months? How are you guys staying active musically? Um, there are some outdoor, there's outdoor, there's still some outdoor festivals in the fall. And then, you know, there's, there's indoor clubs and some places have like blues, indoor blues, uh, concerts or festivals in the winter. You know, I mean, there's, yeah, but I'm talking about like, there's, you know, there's like different, different, um, bigger organizations. Yeah. That's a club that you're mentioning, but um, inside. yeah, clubs, I mean, you know, if we're going to talk about pandemic, that's changing things, but, um, you know, but pre-pandemic, the norm sort of pre-pandemic was right. There's there's clubs and, and concert hall. You know, like we played a lot of the Sellersville Theater. So we, we were talking a little bit about the pandemic and the pandemics that impacted the arts. The question to you guys is how has the pandemic affected you and your music over the past year? And, and, and what have you guys been doing to keep yourselves active and engaged musically? Yeah, I mean, I feel like when the pandemic, you know, first hit, in March of 2020, I mean, like everything was shut down. There was no, you know, no, no venues. Um, And so we did start doing some Facebook shows. And I do, I do think um, we, we had some friends that would kind of put these like Facebook, like um, Sunday brunch and like, actually they'd try to have it. So there was like four, four acts and then um, one after the other, obviously we'd be, you know, streaming from our, you'd be a different link for each person. We're doing it from home. But like, if you wanted to see music, from your own home and you know like um you could just you know he would be promoted as a as a group you should say kelly arts center you should yeah there was there's another another place um called the kelly arts center in havertown and and they um also had us do some they were doing you know like the the online thing kind of was was happening like they had a streaming platform and we we recorded from home um like and they you know they had an audience that um dialed into their platform but we were streaming feeding feeding them so there were some it kind of made everyone get creative i think with that like trying to understand that technology too a lot of us didn't that seemed to have i know that we did that until like through july and then for some reason in my my energy for it kind of just waned i mean we didn't do that that many shows like maybe maybe five or six um i think the chestnut hill business association actually had us like do a fundraiser and they also um like we logged into the, i forget how that worked but some some interface where we did you know like a, a show and they were, they were doing a fundraiser. Um, but yeah, a lot of the gigs just stopped, you know, um, we didn't, we haven't really done a tour since then. Um, I guess for me, I think we had like a little different experiences. Like I had to also, I had like another like sort of social work career and I teach part-time. So it was kind of like figuring out 
that stuff too online, how to do all that online. And honestly, for me, I've been, I had been playing feels like for like 20 plus years and like in an intense way, you know, really uh, my five CDs out, Alan's actually on all of them, you know, just putting a lot of energy, energy. And I think this forced me to kind of stop. And in some ways that was kind of nice for me. Like I just kind of didn't, I just like stopped putting my energy. We had bought a house a couple of years ago. So I was, I like, you know, that I put my artistic creative energy into that. I started painting the, you know, the walls and doing all that kind of stuff. It's, there's definitely more music happening now, but I guess my, maybe because my lack of energy for booking and stuff, I, we don't, we just, I feel like I'm still kind of a little bit on a more of a break than before. I guess that's what I would say. Gotcha. So yes, take, taking a step back, taking a breath. Yeah. Seeing like, you know, like, like everybody, right. It sort of gives us this, it's like this pause where you're like, Oh, what am I doing? And do I like what I'm doing? And like, I want to, do I want to go back to doing that like that way or do it differently? But I did start um, songwriting again, um, I would say this spring. And so I have, we've been doing a couple new songs out from that. And I have about five or six other songs that I'm kind of working on. So. Oh, exciting. Do you guys have uh, plans to go into the studio to do some recording anytime soon? Um, I'm trying to figure that out. Like what makes sense? I mean, that's like another whole conversation, but in, in a sentence for, for me, it's just trying to figure out what, what makes sense? Because in the past, you know, I would invest all this money in making these CDs of like 12 to 14 songs, you know, on a, on a CD, but people aren't buying CDs. I know there's like this movement back to albums. Um, but, and I don't think downloading is that lucrative or, you know, like financially makes sense to put all the money in. So I, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out, whether just to record a few so- songs and then make a couple of good videos, like, you know, just to be more with what's happening. But you would definitely need new music. I mean, that's if you're going to be playing. Well, I, you know, I get together with these guys on Friday nights at this bass player's house up on Chestnut Hill. And what happens is that it's like a group of their friends. I mean, I know some of them, but what they do, a couple of guys write songs and you go over there to learn these guys songs. But you kind of really they never really play out a whole lot. But that kept me going. At least once a week, I knew on Friday nights I could go down there and play. And, you know, it was fun to play. You know, I get to play over changes that I would never get to play with other people, you know. You know, and there was one guy's songs were simpler. One guy's songs were a little bit more complicated. So that kept me going for a while. And then there was some recording with Sober, even during the pandemic. That band, the three of us that were in that band, which is essentially Deb's band, we're not in that band anymore. Okay. But anyway, you know, so there was a few things going on. But then now, you know, there's a place down on the river, Cosmic Cafe. You know, they, they'll do duos down there, so... You know, I was down there uh, yesterday. It's like in the afternoon. So, they, you know, there's little itty bitty things that are popping back up. You know? Yeah. So it's a little bit better than it was before. But that Friday night thing during the pandemic kept me going. And it's kind of refreshing, I would think, because now you have the option to play at your leisure and play what you want. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, like I said, it was it's it's interesting. You know, it doesn't happen every, you know, I mean, if it was a band, I don't I mean, they consider it kind of a band, but they really don't. They really you know, they, they only play at the Venetian club. They had one thing at the Venetian club, but Got it's it. more like, it's almost like, you know, you, you know, for them, it's like a big deal. Cause they don't, they're not people that really go out and play all the time, mm-hmm. but there's people writing songs and you, you know, you go and you learn them and that's like a music lesson there, you know, like you're constant, you know, so it's like practicing, you know, and um, it's fun because it, you know, like I said, during the, during those months, it was like the only thing going on, right? Exactly. Except for some recording, but with sober. So that's pretty much was it for me. Okay. You know, I was lucky enough to start getting some high profile playing with some high profile people like Ken Queter and Robert Hazard, this guy Alan Mann. Um, I played with some oldies groups. Uh, this woman Ezra Mohawk, but I'm talking about really, you know, when I first, yeah, and and you know when I kind of when I first came to Philly. You know, and I was lucky enough to hook up with some people. And I just think the scene was way, I think it was more of a community back then. Um, e- even though, like I was telling her, I think that like we're past when music was like a real fabric of, you know, you know, I grew up in a time when it was a real fabric of everyday, you know, the late 60s. And, you know, it was like, you know, it was part of everything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, we got to go see this show. We got to go, you know, we got to go see traffic or you know, or, you know, Jethro Tull or yes, or, 
you know what I mean? Um, but those years on South Street were, were really cool because uh, even on South Street itself, there must have been five clubs. You know, so there really was like and the radio would play local artists. I swear I could I could walk down the street and I'd hear myself on the radio from playing with this guy, Alan Mann or, or Ken Queter, you know. But then later, you know, the program, the new program directors came in and stopped that. So I think it was it was I think it was a more fertile time, you know, than than, you know, I, I think it lasted up until about the 80s, you know. And but there were so many places to play. Yeah. So I think it was more of a community, you know, more, you know what I mean? Like lot of bands and then even the punk thing created a whole, you know, like there was a lot of bands and then there was punk clubs. So, the, you know, I, that to me was like kind of the last real era of like, you know, the Philly music scene being a really big deal you know, to, mm-hmm. to me. But what do you like about it now? I mean, you're clearly still making music here. Is there, what, 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 what still, like what, what, what still draws, what still draws <laughs> you to that? What, what do you, uh, you know, it's just an internal thing. I'm going to keep playing them, you know, you just find little things to do, but I, I appreciate the camaraderie. I do feel like there's, there's a camaraderie. Um, I think, you know, as we, as this is true of anything, like as we age, we're probably less connected with like, I don't know, like the 20 something scene, you know what I mean? Like what, what they're doing. But I, I know that before the pandemic, a bunch of new clubs opened up and, um, like, I think Philly, Philly goes in and out of, you know, it's music scene and what's, what's happening. But I, I think, um, I don't, I don't know. It's tough. Like, we were, we were supposed to play at the, the, the new city winery in downtown Philly, and we got rescheduled like four four times. Oh, wow. I'm not scheduled to play there in February. But that seemed like a new kind of a newer, cool venue. I mean, yeah. And and I think like um, I like I mentioned XPN, I do think they they play our music sometimes. And I do think um, I don't know. I think they, they play local artists. I don't know if there's as many another station that plays as many local artists. You know, they have the whole Philly local show. Well, what ways would you like to see the community support or ways that you think the community can support local musicians like yourselves? Oh, I mean, I was just saying, I do. <laughs> You're going to get two different answers I here. Um, <laughs> I do think that the community, like one thing I was thinking is that I do think um, various communities did support musicians like during the pandemic. You know, I think um, like there's a Philly arts organization that um, I know I got a, a small grant from, you know, um, and, and they were from musicians and artists, you know, who were not able to make money doing what they did. And then there's also an organization called Keeping the Blues Alive. That's a part of the, the Blues Foundation and National Foundation. And they had um, money that you could also apply for. And um, they were actually for touring musicians and stuff, too. They were giving some um, uh, like a gas card so that when you get back on the road again, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it was actually um, Joe Bonamassa, who's um, Joe Bonamassa, who's a well-known, you know, guitar player in the blues, blues rock community. Yeah, he was part of that, you know. And um, and anyway, so we did get, um, you know, I applied for some money for the band, and you know, kind of gave it to the band members that that work for us too. So, I mean, th- those kind of things were great during the pandemic. The one thing I think is just kind of hard as a musician. Musicians kind of get paid the same as they have, like. Like some, when I first started performing, it was really, like I said, in the late nineties, early two thousands and musicians would say, oh yeah, like they're paying the same as what we got paid in the seventies. You know, like it, it hasn't really musicians. It's just hard, you know, unless you're doing wedding gigs or private parties, um, or you're, you're, you know, um, someone of, of, of a bigger name, like, like we just mentioned Joe Bonamassa or, you know, obviously a big pop artist or something like it's, it's hard to make a. Um, you obviously have to diversify, you know, like what, whatever else you do. Um, there are places like the Kelly Center in Havertown. I like their, their, do you know, have you heard of them? No. Yeah. They, they should check it out. They have a, they have an interesting approach because they are very community minded and it seems like an intentional about how they're trying to <clears throat> support the community. Like they have musicians, they have, you know, they have art on the wall. So they're, um, they have comedians. I think they have, um, they have music out in the park. Um, they raise money for different kind of, you know, things. I don't know. They, they seem to be very much like community minded, I guess is what I'd say. They, they also are very supportive of new young artists like who've never played. Like they're not just trying to book established people. They have like a night for high schoolers or, you know, to kind of get your talent out there. I, I like when, their approach. When we played, we played there and the first act was a jazz act. 
Mm-hmm. So then, you know, that's really like the old days when you would just have, it didn't matter. You didn't have to, you know, you could have a jazz act right. and then you, you know. When he, and he and, um, uh, was really good, but he had just graduated from high school and was right. going to college. So I'm saying like he was super talented for his age. And, um, right. but I think realizing the value of music, you know, and, and I think, I think having places like you know, like say like, like concert series that will expose the community to our, our like, like Pastorius Park. They try to diversify the music and it, it, like, it allows you to go for free. You know, I think people that might not pay $20 for a ticket to go see someone um, that they don't know, but they like the idea of, oh, let's get our friends and our kids and our dog and go to the park and have a picnic. And Hey, this band is something I would, this band is cool. And I would never have known about them. If, you know, so I do think having these like kind of free, <clears throat> we did, um, was the Arboretum, Curtis Arboretum we played at. Um, and that was really fun. And that's like um, city fundus, which is there, county, is it a county, township, maybe township. Let's get those mixed up. I think it's the township basically funded um, the program and people you know, could go for free. We wanted to spotlight your music a little bit. So you had a selection. What are you sending us? Yeah, it's hard to pick one song, but I think we're, we decided to pick this song called Seven States Away recorded on on the most recent cd um which was called sweet soul and um that cd alan and i actually went to la and we hooked up with this i had met this producer tony bronigal who's a drummer and he's played with a lot of um you know well-known people he was playing with robert cray when i met him and he, he's played with bonnie raid and he's played with ed james and um so we went to la and we basically worked with him and some studio musicians um this guy who just passed away mike finnegan was a keyboard player and Again, like he played on yeah. Hendrix, you Jimi know, Hendrix, Crosby, Stills, Nash, like Mason, David Crosby, like one of my heroes growing up because he was on a Hendrix record. Yeah. So it's kind of yeah. like amazing to, it was an amazing experience. Reggie um, McBride, bass player, Stevie, Stevie Wonder. Wonder. Uh, he was rehearsing with Barry Manilow at the same time he was recording Kev with Lowe, us. Oh, he was playing with. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. yeah. We were kind of a bit starstruck, like, but they were very down to earth yeah. guys. But anyways, we made this album. Um, that's the last CD that I, that I actually made, you know, um, and so that this song is from, it's called seven States away. And basically I came up with the idea, um, out on the road, we were down in Florida at one of my favorite, um, venues there called the, um, Bradfordville blues club in Tallahassee. And, um, it's this great vibe there. It's really an old juke joint. You actually have to drive down a little, um, like uh, dirt, road. dirt road, yeah, yeah, Moses Lane to get there, and it's like um, there's a, a woman <laughs> named Miss Ernestine. She's cooking catfish and mullet fish and fries, and you get a plate. <laughs> it's like really like something out of the past. Um, and there's a bonfire, and everyone's really friendly, and they're digging the music. So I was in, I was sort of there when Elijah was little, and just um, I think he was staying with my mom, and you know I was. It's a great place. I was having a lot of fun, but all I was thinking about was like. Oh, you know, I can't wait to get back to Philly to see Elijah. I hope he's okay. And it was seven states between Florida and um, Philly. So I have a little little story, a narrative about all the states we're going through and what's cool about those states. But let's, let's keep moving to get back to Philly, you know. <laughs> so I love seven it. States away. Yeah. Well, just tell us real quick, where can we find your music? Well, if you come to a live show, you can buy CDs there. Um, you can also download from um, Amazon. Um, uh, what are the other big downloading sites? Um, it's like on all the. You got Spotify, Spotify. you got iTunes, iTunes. which yeah, is now, I guess, Apple Music now. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So all those, all those, all those platforms, um, physical copies. I mean, you could go to like Main Street Music in Maniac. They probably still have some nice. um, or Shady Dog Records in Wayne. Um, you can also just order it on my website. Actually, you can go to Deb, DebCallahanBand.com. And you can go through and use PayPal and, you know, pay for a CD and I'll mail it out to you. Awesome. All right. So Deb Callahan band, seven states away. I'm down in Tallahassee. I got a show to do. Joy is really jumping. Somehow I got the blues. They're fine up in catfish. The bonfire's going strong. I'm in the sunshine state. Ain't no sunshine when it's gone. Just seven states away till I get back home to you. Well, I'm driving through Savannah, heading north I-95. Got no time for stopping. 
Georgia's not what's on my mind There's history and romance Pictures on the tree But I'm blind to everything Till I see my sweet baby I'm just six days away Till I get back home to you I'm just six days away Till I get back home to you South Carolina, just one time. Smiling faces, beautiful places, nothing more sublime. Myrtle Beach may tempt some with the palm trees and nice weather. Charleston has its charm. I can skip it all together. Just five states away till I get back home to you. Yeah. Where the sign says North Carolina, known for first in flight. I'm thinking about some barbecue. so much for being with us today. We really, really appreciate it. It's been so great thank talking you, to you. you. Learned, a, learned a lot and looking forward yeah. to, to seeing you guys live somewhere for sure. Yeah, okay. thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in this week. Yeah, be sure to tune in in two weeks for another episode of What Do You Know About That? We'll be back with some more topics. And uh, again, if you want to reach out to us at any time, hit us up on Facebook or Instagram at What Do You Know About That? Have a good night, everyone. <laughs>